You're late. Maria's already established that the hills are alive. And what's with the getup? Uh, Nurse Ratchet is out there again, and I had to sneak in. At least you would have if I were your husband, but I guess friends don't count anymore. Wait a minute. You're not my husband? Just because we fooled around in summer camp when we were 14 doesn't cut it. You forget about the time we were drunk off our asses at Rainbow Mountain, and I let you jerk me off before we passed out on the couch. Let you. You practically begged me. Maybe that's how you remember it. And no husband would change your bedpan. That's true. When Carlos saw what he'd have to do to take care of me, like Julie Andrews, he headed for the hills. Not without infecting you first. No offense, but you have worse taste in husbands than Liza Minnelli. everyone. My name is Sarah Edmonds. I'm the editor-in-chief of For Page and Scream magazine. I'm here today with Aaron Levenman. He is the author of Lovers and Survivors. We had the honor of publishing both his script and a recorded version of the script in our second issue of the magazine. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much, Sarah. It's great to be here. Yeah, um, I would love to just start by talking a little bit about the play. What inspired it? Um, How'd you get there? (laughs) So I was taking a playwriting intensive that was based out of Washington, D.C. at the Kennedy Center. And it was a virtual event, a virtual intensive. They have been doing them for many, many, many years. But because it was virtual, I was allowed to attend from Santa Fe, New Mexico. And uh, we had an assignment in the intensive, which was to write a short play that involved uh, two characters over over several uh, different parts in time. And in the play, there had to be a bell that rings. And and when the bell rings, there's a jump in time. And then then you go to the next point in that person's life. So that was how I came up with the structure. It was really an assignment. And then... The idea for the play itself, um, I think when I when I, the assignment was given to me, I was thinking about a close friend of mine that I grew up with. Um, we were really good friends in junior high school when we were about 12. And uh, of course, we were both gay, but we weren't out at that point. Uh, but we used to sort of talk about like movie stars we liked and the sort of context was there. We just didn't have words for what our identities were at that point. Um, and we were really close through high school, and then he moved uh, out of the country, and we didn't reconnect uh, until maybe about um, 10 years ago. So there were many decades that we hadn't been in touch. And when we reconnected on Facebook, we both like saw we were both out at that point. And uh, when I was in town in Boston, where he was living, where I grew up, uh, we would we would get together and giggle like we did when we were 12 and it felt like no time had passed. We were still those like little kids, even though we were adults at this point and able to talk about adult things that were going on, but still that sort of initial like silly energy that we had when we were little, it was still there, that infectious giggling and, and the fun that we had. Um, so I guess that was, I was sort of interested in writing about long-term friendships and about how they sustain us over the years. And then I guess sort of the other point to this is that, um, you know, in my personal life, uh, two, two of the 
people closest to me, probably my mother and my husband, both had suffered serious medical issues over the years. And what we kind of witnessed during that time was about the people that kind of stick with you during times of crises and then the people that just fall away for whatever reason, whether they can't handle the situation or they're busy with their own lives. But it's the people that really stick with you are the ones that really become uh, meaningful in terms of the course of your life and that really sustain you through really difficult challenges. And so I guess the point of the play for me was really about survivalism through long-term friendships. And then as a final point, I'd written a couple different plays that dealt with uh, illness and in different capacities. And I wanted to write a play where someone who's suffering from an illness doesn't die at the end, but they actually survive and live on. And to kind of see what that was like, because a lot of people do survive. And there are a lot of reasons why people don't. But for those that do, I wanted to sort of show that as a kind of representation that it doesn't have to be an end of life situation. There are people that deal with crises and, and live on into their old age and why they do is one of the subjects of the play. I love that. And I love this idea of focusing on people who continue on because mm -hmm. oftentimes there's still after effects of an illness yep. and showing that those aren't life ending and they're not joy ending is a great thing. And I think that the ending of your play captures that because like you said, you still have those inside jokes and like childish joy that comes through with friends. Yeah. And I think, you know, when what you were saying, you know, people that are, uh, you know, the plays dealing with the AIDS crisis and during that period of time, but now there are people that are living with COVID and long COVID and the after effects of that. And so the play sort of became relevant again, even though it's dealing with a different point in time. But mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, now I want to talk really briefly about the process of recording this play because it isn't just yeah. words on paper. We also have this great video. We have two great actors in the play. How did you get there? So um, at the very beginning of COVID, when everything shut down really quickly in March, three years ago, um, I got cast in this virtual play. I don't know. So I saw the listing on backstage or something. And so I was, it was a short play that was part of the festival and they did it all on zoom and they, um, that was actually a live event. And so they had the, they had a stage manager and it was like doing a TV show. And I'm like, well, this is really cool. And then we realized that we weren't going to be back up and running in two weeks, the beginning of COVID, like we thought we were, this was going to go on a while. So I, I actually have a theater company in Santa Fe um, called Almost Adult Productions. And we were doing in-person stage readings and short play programs for a number of years. And then um, I stopped doing it because the audience in Santa Fe was changing and I was trying to figure out what people wanted to see. And then when COVID happened and I was cast in this, this virtual play, I realized, hey, I could do this from my kitchen. So I put out a call for entries and I got like 500 submissions just as an unknown entity. And I started producing these short play programs on Zoom and we did them uh, about twice a month. And I would put out an ad in backstage and get hundreds of actors that wanted to participate, just found directors, um, found plays I wanted to do. And we, uh, we did it all on Zoom with virtual backgrounds and music, and it was very low tech. And I realized that, A, that was what I could do within my technical capabilities, but also I liked the fact that it was really just focusing on the actors and the words. Mm -hmm. 
and not on the special effects, which are, which are great too. It's just that th- that was the kind of program I wanted to do. So I, I learned how to do all that. And um, there was a, uh, um, I'm part of the Dramatist Guild, uh, which is, you know, national organization for, for playwrights. And we have a Santa Fe chapter and they were doing a, an event where they wanted to, um, they were asking people to do a Zoom production of their own play that they were going to then show to a private audience um, for the Southwest uh, chapter of the Dramatist Guild. And so I actually made the the Zoom production for that. And then uh, it was only seen by that group of people that were there that day. And uh, and then we we were you were able to to use it as part of the um, part of your publication. So. I love that. That's fantastic. And, and the actors, one of them, I, I just uh, found through a backstage call, and the other I'd worked with before through another oh. Zoom. I did, yeah. That's great, and I love what you mentioned about it focusing on the actors because yeah. I come from more of a film background, and mm-hmm. I know acting reels are huge. So having something that is a pro- professional production where it really is just you and another person or another group of people focusing on the acting could be really valuable to that, to putting into a reel and showcasing monologues or group performances where they're not distracted by sets and body movement and all of that. Well, the challenge in doing Zoom productions is that the actors aren't in the same room together. They can be. I have seen Zoom plays where they are, but generally, like in this case, they're not. So you really have to try to create that intimacy when that's not the case. And I have seen Zoom productions when you can tell sometimes the actors weren't even recorded at the same time, which is what you would do on film sometimes. You wouldn't necessarily, they would be in different locations or it was a phone call scene or something. So it's really trying to create that intimacy with each other. And it's really, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a challenge, but I think you can create that intimacy in a, like, like in the, the Zoom play I did and others I've done. And it's just about, you know, how you, how you create those connections um, through through words and through your computer, uh, through your laptop, and uh, now that we're all adept at communicating that way, now that we've been, you know, in the pandemic a while, we've learned how to do that in our personal lives as well. Absolutely, and I, ha- I have a feeling I know vaguely what you're going to say, but how <laughs> important is community to you as? an actor working with theatrical groups, but also as a writer and in the themes of your writings? Um, it's a really good question um, because I feel like I've been very lucky because um, I'm part of a great community here in Santa Fe. And, you know, I've been here almost 19 years. And so I, I know everyone in the theater community. Um, and, you know, now I know people through other places through the Zoom series I did. Um, and that's an online community, which is a gr- very different kind of thing because you don't see each other in person, but that is that is its own thing as well. Um, I think when you have community, you have support, you have people that you can rely on to work with to do workshop performances or just to do, you know, Zoom productions or whatever it might be. And um, I think community is important in any aspect of your life. And so certainly it would be the case for, for theater. Because it is a it is a, a collaborative process, like film is also. And um, if you have a group of people that you can really support, you know, be, be supportive of you to do your work, that's great. You know, because writing in itself is a very lonely process. 
And back before I was doing theater, um, when I was doing other kinds of writing, I really felt that isolation. And then when I started doing theater, you know, if you're fortunate, like I have to have your place produced, then you get to work with all these other people. And then you see come to life. And that's like the second step of the, the, the solo work that you're doing on your, on your writing. So I think, it, I think it's really crucial. And, you know, again, it, communities don't have to be based in the place you live. They can be, you know, anywhere where there's people that are supportive, that are, that are your allies, wherever that might be. Mm, absolutely. And Speaking of your early writing days, I'm just curious, how did you get into writing? Did you start with prose, a different format? What got you here? Well, uh, I caught the theater bug when I was really little. When I was eight years old, I was in a children's theater group. So I'd been doing theater pretty much my entire life. And even before that, I was in a music and arts camp in, in, uh, when I was in, in, uh, during the summer where I grew up in, in Boston. So I, I was acting from when I was really young, and then I acted in high school plays. And then, um, you know, I, I grew up in a really uh, thriving cultural environment in Boston. And my parents used to take me to to films, you know, and, you know, even foreign films, independent films were, were becoming important in the late 70s and into the 80s. And to theater in Boston is a great theater town too. So I was exposed to a lot of theater and film when I was when I was from a really young age. And then when I was in high school, I realized that I had my own stories that I wanted to tell. And I think that was partly just from the things I was going to and seeing, and uh, being inspired by that and influenced. And my high school had a theater uh, competition where a uh, playwriting competition where you would write a play and submit it to them. And if they liked it, they would do it once a year as part of a student uh, play festival. So I never got accepted. My plays were really dark <laughs> for a 16 year old. When I think back and I'm like, well, no wonder they weren't accepted. I was also like brand spanking into doing it, but um, I, I didn't know anything about formatting. I and mean, I just wrote plays based on other plays I'd read. But then when I got to college, um, I was a theater arts major at UC Santa Cruz, and I was doing everything. I was making short films. I was acting, directing, and then I was uh, I took a playwriting class, and I wrote two one-act plays, and there was also a theater festival at uh, on campus and um, that they would do annually, and, and two of my plays consecutively each year got in, and one, one particularly was really well-received. So I started, and it was a really personal play. And so I'm like, whoa, this is something that I think I want to keep doing, even though I was certainly studying film, filmmaking at that point. And then um, when I uh, I went to uh, Columbia for film school and was really writing screenplays for the most part and learning all about that in that, in that MFA program, and I didn't really get anywhere with my screenwriting. I had a, I had a stage reading at an off-Broadway theater, and it did really well, but nothing came of that reading. And then um, I had a, a group I was working with, uh, a couple of friends, and we were writing sick, a sitcom pilot together. Had some interest, didn't go anywhere. Then I moved to Cape Cod and joined uh, the Provincetown Theater Company and started um, writing plays because they have a really thriving theater community there that dates back to you know, Eugene O'Neill. And so um, I started uh, writing plays that were getting produced at the theater company in Provincetown and then in other festivals as well, mainly short play festivals around the country. And that was over 20 years ago. And I really kept doing that. So 
morphing from screenwriting to playwriting. And I realized it was a lot easier to get a play produced than to sell a screenplay. Although there's no money in it or very little money, it at least is, is uh, continuing to feed my creative soul. As long as it gets out there, that's all that matters. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So having tried all of those different roles, do you find you have a favorite? Do you prefer a specific aspect of production? Do you prefer writing? Anything like that? Um, well, there are a lot of, th- I mean, I kind of like all of it in different ways. The writing is for me the hardest, believe it or not, even though it's the one I've probably been doing the longest. Um, I feel like I probably write less than I used to because I tend to write more now when I have something I want to write about. And when I was younger, I used to write all the time. A lot of it, you know, wasn't very good, but it was just, I kept it going. Now it's like, you know, I think I have that pressure on me to want to produce something that's going to be really well received because I've had that experience now. Um, so I think it's made it harder and I, um, I, I need to, that's why like playwriting intenses and classes are really helpful because it, you know, groups like the play, the drama discipline group that really gives you support to get back into it and gives you ideas and, and, and incentive. Um, I like producing because I like supporting other people's work. I like producing other people's work. I like giving people opportunities. I also do programming for film festivals, and that's part of that also that that opportunity to to showcase someone's work that I think is really valuable and to and to give to have an influence on their life and the audience life lives as to what they're seeing. Um, producing is also really stressful because you're dealing with all these aspects that you have to worry about in terms of production elements. And, you know, as I get older, I have less of a temperament to deal with that kind of stress. So, um, and I don't direct as much now when I do, it's usually my own work because it's just easier for me to do it than to find a director. And, uh, that's always been really fun when I've done that recently in Santa Fe, it's been a, it's been a great experience. Um, because I love actors and I am an actor and um, I, I respect what actors can bring to your own material that I wouldn't have thought of myself. So it's always been a good experience. And then I love acting. I've been doing that probably the longest of anything. Um, and I've done both theater and film and, you know, there's been, you know, post COVID the opportunities have really changed. So I'm um, trying to get back into that. But, um, and, you know, Santa Fe, New Mexico is a small market for film production, although it does exist here. So, um, so to answer your question, I think there's a little bit of everything that I like and other things that are challenging. (laughs) And, you know, the competition for all of this has really changed. I mean, back when I started writing plays, you didn't have nearly the amount of competition you do now. More people are writing plays. I think because of the internet, there's Mm -hmm. more ways to access opportunities than there used to be. Um, And so that's increased competition, but I think there are more opportunities as well. So that's the good point. That's the good side of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I definitely agree. I always think of something um, a colleague of mine said way back when I first started getting into films is that everyone who works on a film set writes scripts. Like every single yeah. person is a screenwriter. Yeah. Um, yeah. So to break into that market is really, really difficult, but not everyone can do the crew position. So to have that well-rounded experience like you have, like you're talking about, is also really valuable for just staying in the industry and getting that work, mm-hmm. no matter what position it is. Um, so do you have any themes that you find are consistent throughout your work? 
You know, it's really changed um, over the years. Like when I think about the things that I wrote about, uh, like when I was writing screenplays, it was kind of all over the map. I was really interested in in the horror genre. And I wrote these like supernatural, they're kind of like supernatural dramas. They weren't really horror films. And I think that's just because I grew up watching like some of the great horror films from the 60s and 70s. And I, you know, the, 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 the horror films that I loved were the ones that had a really interesting message or overall theme or had interesting characters or there was a kind of, you know, compelling uh, viewpoint about society. It wasn't just about the gore. So that was what I was trying to emulate. I don't think it was really the best genre for me, although I had a little bit of success with it, but it, it didn't really sustain itself. And then when I got into playwriting, um, you know, some of my favorite plays um, when I was young were like Absurdist Theater, like Ionesco and and, and uh, Beckett. And so I was trying to write that. So I wrote a lot of crazy comedies that were, you know, some of it were based on experiences I'd had, like, you know, personal experiences or jobs I had or industry, you know, experience and turning that into kind of zany world, other world, um, almost dystopian in one case. And um, I, I, th I think that was fine to get started. And then I think as I got older, when I started writing about really personal stories, whether it was memoir or whether, or whether it was about people close to me, I think I had more more success with that. Those are the plays that had a more of a reality base that was really more compelling and moving in terms of telling the human story, human experience. And then I was, you know, started to focus more on the, you know, LGBTQ theme plays because I'm a part of that community. And I was just interested in telling those stories. Um, and then what I've been interested in more recently um, is you know looking at uh disability disability justice and how that representation is something i'm interested in contributing to and how there used to be a real lack of it and that's changing a bit but i i, I think that there's a, a lot of stories around people that are ably challenged that i really want to tell because i have that in my not in myself, but in people close to me. And I, and I see the challenges they go through in terms of being kind of left out of certain parts of society and how I think that can be represented more in, in dramas and comedies. And, um, but, uh, I, I do think the, um, the, the stories that are closest to me are the ones that I've been the most, uh, fulfilling in writing. In terms of like a theme, like an overall theme, I think like the, the the theme of what we were talking about with lovers and survivors is something that I'm looking at. You know, the the way that like society and life and personal connections and how those come into play with each other, how the outside world influences things that are going on in your daily personal life. Um, yeah, I I love the idea of really bringing in what's personal to you. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, Speaking on the idea of writing more stories about disability, have you found in acting circles that any difference in opportunity for actors mm. with disabilities? You know, I haven't seen it as much in my sort of limited experience here, but I have seen it more in TV shows and films and, and in theater. You know, some of the examples... Um, when there was a, and of course I don't remember her name, there was a revival of Oklahoma on Broadway a number of years ago and they cast a, 
woman who is a wheelchair user as Ado Annie, which is one of the second female leads, didn't change anything in the text, didn't make it about that. They just cast this actress who's a wheelchair user and she won the Tony Award. <laughs> Not because of that, because she was, you know, she I saw from the clips on the Tony Award, she was amazing. So I think when that happened and because of the Tony Awards and she was on the Tony Awards, the visibility changed and then things started to shift a bit. I don't know if it was solely because of that, but certainly I like to think it was. And um, I, I do see a lot of representations of disability in in stories in TV and film where it's not the issue. They just cast an actor that has these challenges. And I think that's really compelling because, and it's the same with gender identity, because, you know, I think you used to see when you would have a trans character in a, in a movie or TV, they would cast a famous actor to play that, I, that, that character, whether or not they were trans, but just for box office reasons. And now that's changed. Now they actually can't, you know, not all the time, but frequently would cast, you know, trans actor to play a trans character. But that doesn't mean that's all that they want to play. They would want to play whatever their gender identity is or not, or play a different identity. <laughs> so, um, but, but I think that diversity is changing a bit, still is a ways to go with it. But I have seen signs of that, and I think it's really promising. So I'm hoping that continues. Um, that 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 you know, directors, casting agents are starting to think a little more outside of the box, and that we're having this overall discussion about diversity and in, in all aspects of of culture and in and in life. And um, I, I think the shift of that is is really is 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 really uh, is really touching, and I hope it continues and goes even further. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. I think it's fantastic, fantastic progress being made. Um, you had mentioned earlier about writing plays and directing them yourself. Do you mm -hmm. find that you approach writing differently when you know you're going to be directing the play yourself? No, usually because I don't know I'm going to be directing the play myself, and I don't do it that often. Um, I've you know we'll we'll do it once in a while if it's just easier for me to do so. But um, you know, I think I'm probably um, it was interesting because I saw a production of a play I wrote that was done in New York um, a, a few weeks ago, actually, and I had directed a production of that same play in Santa Fe maybe a year a year or two ago. And I thought I was really, you know, very detailed oriented with how I directed it because I knew what the intents were for the characters and how, you know, what, what the, what the, I remembered the, the thought pattern for how I created these characters. So I was able to share that with the actors. But when I saw somebody else do it, they brought so much more to it that I never would have thought of in terms of just innovative ideas to bridge the scenes. Um, visual aspects to it because i'm not really a visual director i'm more about like let's work on the beats let's work on the intentions but that broad sort of overall picture that some of the best directors have just isn't necessarily in my experience so i saw this other director had brought a lot to it and it was really exciting so i i think um i would I, i'm never thinking that i'm going to direct anything because it's only out of like convenience and necessity and i always prefer to have someone else do it because of what they can bring to it and i've had the same thing with acting like when i've acted in my own plays it's gone fine one time in particular actually went really well but um i, I would much rather have somebody new bring their own meaning to it interpretation mm -hmm. i think that's so important um 
one thing I personally had to get over with getting into the film scene mm-hmm. is letting things go, letting it yeah. not be the way I see in my head. And the way you're talking about this is so exactly what it needs to be to look forward yeah. to that collaboration, those new perspectives. I think that's so important. Um, so tell me a little bit about your experience with adaptations. That's like a different branch of this field. Well, um, when I was in film school, I took a class on adaptation um, by a fairly well-known uh, playwright and screenwriter. And I found it was much harder than I anticipated it was going to be. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of adaptations. Of course, there's there's prose, there's fiction, and then there's uh, plays. And, you know, we see a lot of films based on plays. And I think the challenge in creating a really good cinematic experience from a play is really rethinking the entire way that the story is told and thinking about it through visual terms. And I've heard interviews with, um, you know, different famous directors that have attempted to do that and how they had to really rethink, let's say they directed the play version and then they had to direct the film. They had to really start from scratch to really make it cinematic. Um, and you see a lot of films from plays that are good, like I'm going to use the, the movie version of Doubt as an example. And it's a good film because the performances are great. They have the best actors. It's great material. And I don't mean to criticize the movie because I think it's a great film in a lot of ways, but it very much feels like a film of a play. It doesn't feel like you've seen like a great, you know, cinematic masterpiece. Um, it's really relying a lot on the material and the acting. Um, if you see like the, the film version of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, for example, very different. Um, that was made in the late 60s. And the, uh, you know, Mike Nichols, who's one of the great directors we've ever had, you know, fit, really figured out brilliant ways visually to tell that, that very literary work. Um, and the film was actually nominated for Best Cinematography. I think it won actually for Best Cinematography, the Oscars that year. Um, but, you know, it's like breaking the narrative and reshaping it into something different. And I think if you really don't have skills as, say, a screenwriter and you're adapting it from a play, I think, you know, it's going to require, I, I would say, to do your homework on how do you revision, you know, if, especially if it's your own story as a play into a film. And then, you know, taking fiction is is very challenging taking prose because you can kind of do anything with it um because prose has that you know that way that it can go to all kinds of different places in a period of time and go back and forth in time and go to different locations so i think a lot of like certain films that are like two-hour films not series will take like one segment of a, a book rather than the entire book because it's a two-hour film i think when you try to cram like an 800 page novel into a two hour film frequently you get like, like the snippets, not the entire story. And I'm, I'm grossly generalizing. Of course, their rules are made to be broken, but I think uh, the, the, those are the challenges that, that I found. As a result, I don't really do adaptations that much anymore because I find that um, it's hard. It's if you like something so much that someone else's work in particular that you want to adapt, you don't want to change what they did, but you have to you know, to, to make it your own and to make it cinematic. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I once had the experience of doing kind of 
the reverse of what you were just talking about uh-huh. with prose and film. Mm-hmm. I had a full-length screenplay that I had written for a class in undergrad and rewrote it for a short story. And it was really eye-opening how short the short story was for a full-length yeah. film because it added a lot of perspective of why it really does not work to take that 800-page book and turn it into a two-hour movie. There's just not enough space, not enough time. Well, and then, you know, the opposite of that, you know, taking like a short story and making it into a two-hour film, you have to then create new material that that expands it. And it doesn't always work. Like when people have said to me, just like, have you thought of making your short plays into full-length plays? It doesn't always work either. Sometimes they work better as a, in a short form. It just doesn't have that kind of, that kind of, not depth, but just that ex- that the expansion doesn't isn't necessary. It can be told in a short way, so you don't need to expand it. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, then if you are taking a short work and making it longer, if it's someone else's, like if it's a famous short story, you then have to find you know develop the characters in a way that really makes sense and suits that initial short work. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's so complex, so complex. Um, you had said something, and it made me want to say something, and I don't know what that <laughs> was now. That, that thought went out of my head. Sorry about It's okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Never mind. It's okay. <laughs> it wasn't meant to be. <laughs> it, it was not. It was not, apparently. Um, I think it was just something about how short works are really underappreciated yes yes well and some of the best literary figures some of their best work is the short stories you know f scott fitzgerald Hemingway. um you know they've their their short work is is amazing um you know we we think of their sort of longer form but um i i agree i think uh and, and short plays i mean you know i think Back when I was starting to write short plays, I felt like there was this kind of feeling that it was a lesser form of playwriting. And I think that's actually changed. Yeah. You know, um, I always use as an example, Susan Glassbell's play, uh, Trifles, which was written in 19, early 1900s. It's one of the great American plays. It's eight pages, mm-hmm. you know? So when I teach short form playwriting, I always say, Read this play if you think it's a lesser form of playwriting. Not so much. Um, it's just the opportunities are different. It's not commercial in the same way that you're not going to see a 10-minute play on Broadway <laughs> or even a collection of short plays on Broadway. So it's just a different, you know, it, it it doesn't give you that same broad commercial value, but opportunities are still there. So Absolutely. So... Tell us a little bit about what you're working on now. Anything new in the works? Well, um, sort of similar to what we were talking about before, um, I'm writing a series of, I want to write a collection. I tend to write more collections of plays, short play programs than full-length plays. I used to write full-length screenplays, but I somehow morphed into short form, I think, just because it gets easier for me, it's easier to, to get them produced in terms of festivals or competitions or whatever. Um, 
so I'm writing a collection of plays called The Wheelchair Plays, based on what we were talking about, about disability. And it's, uh, I've you know, Lovers and Survivors is going to be part of that collection. There was another play I wrote several years ago called Blanche in a Wheelchair that was really well received. And I'm interested in looking at what we were just talking about, the sort of alignment between disability justice and the LGBTQIA plus community. And so I'm, I'm thinking about different, you know, scenarios for how, you know, disability is represented, particularly in LGBTQIA scenarios, and how those two movements have combined and what kind of personal stories can come from that. So I have an idea for the next play in the series that I'm just kind of starting to, to form. And maybe I'll talk more about that if we get a chance to speak again in the future, because I, I'm still kind of forming it. But um, I think that'll be the next thing I do. And I think there'll be a lot of interest in it because the, the subject is sort of taking off right now. And, Sorry about that. Uh, Do you want me to say that again? or Yeah, yeah, just that last bit there. Um, so what I find for me is that opportunities sort of come up at the last minute without when I'm not planning things. And so I'm always surprised by what, what happens. So I'm looking for that, that next surprise, that next opportunity I'm not expecting while I'm still, you know, out there trying to create new content and, and uh, knocking on doors, as they say. Absolutely, absolutely. I will keep my fingers crossed for you. Okay. <laughs> there are good news, surprising things in the future. Yeah. Um, last question that I have. Is there any one piece of advice that you would give to other writers, other playwrights out there? Don't give up. You know, it gets very uh, discouraging when you get rejections. Most of what you're going to get are rejections. And when you get those uh, when you hang in there long enough and you get those opportunities, as I was saying before, that you're not expecting it, it's really what keeps you going. But don't quit too soon, you know. And I think that's not just true with opportunities. It's true with your own writing. You know, I, I teach playwriting um, off and on. And I have a lot of students that sort of give up the projects they're working on because it just gets to be too too hard and it gets to be too daunting to rewrite something. But I think when, when playwrights have success, not just with, with achievements, but also just in their own work, it's because it's their willingness to stick with something for a period of time. So my advice is like, just hang in there. If you want to do it badly enough and you hang in there long enough, you will get to the place you want to be with it. It's just about the willingness to stick with it. If you don't write every day, that's fine, right? When you can, you know, but it's that, it, it's that motivation and drive that'll keep you going and, you know, find your, like you were talking about community. And that's another reason why community is important is that when you have other people give you feedback, whether it's in a, a workshop performance or a reading or just to have friends read it or to be in a class, um, those find those resources for yourself. They're really invaluable because just doing it on your own and sending it out without that kind of feedback can be really hard because you don't get the perspective on your work that someone else's. And, you know, everyone has their own opinions about things and you don't have to listen to them all. You know, I used to make the mistake when I was much younger where if someone gave me feedback, I would try to incorporate all of their comments into the, into the rewrite. And that doesn't work either because it's your play. It's not their play. But if you start, if you show it to five people and five of them say the same thing, then you know that they're onto something. 
if they all have different opinions, you take what you want and leave the rest. You know, you you say, okay, well, this makes sense to me. This really isn't what I wanted to do with it, but thank you for your opinion. And then you 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 form your own. The the work forms through your own perspective on that on on what you hear. So that's what I would say. And um, you know, there are a lot of great opportunities out there for writers, not just for productions, but just resources classes workshops and and the you know the way that we've kind of gone more online during covid there's even more opportunities so look things up research things find what's the best opportunity for yourself and uh and and if you have the chance to do it great and um just hang in there i love that fantastic advice um thank you so much for that advice oh Absolutely. Here and talking with us. Yeah. Uh, Best of luck with all of your future endeavors. Thank you so much. And best of luck with yours as well. Thank you.